0: All right, everybody, welcome to the Joe gallon podcast. I'm very excited for today's episode, but before I get into it, I got to thank all my listeners. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much to my Patreon subscribers. Got a couple new episodes on there for you. Got a really fun video I did with comedian Jonah Jerkins, in which we played the classic American game, Fuck, Mary Kill. So definitely check that out. Also, uh, you can listen to my latest album. It's on Spotify, Apple Music, anywhere where you can stream music. You can listen to on Pandora. Go ahead. I don't mind. I get like a penny per listen, but you know, it's fine. I know it's tough times for everybody, but uh, also big thanks to all my YouTube subscribers. You guys are fantastic. I love each and every one of you, even the ones I don't know, even the ones that are probably a little weird. I love you too because you guys are here for me. But I'm very excited to get into the t- today's uh, podcast. I'm so excited. I'm stuttering already. Can you believe this? Uh, my guest today is a fantastic comedian. When I was starting Stand Up in Chicago, like one of the names, or it's like Patty Vasquez, was on like every Walt Zaney's that was like Zanies comedy club was the big comedy club in Chicago that every comedian wanted their picture on. And I remember seeing Patty's and knowing she was from Chicago. And then I found out she grew up in the same part of town as me, which was also like a big, cool thing because I didn't really know anyone from like the Northwest side that went on to do comedy. It's more of a, you know, union drinking beer and, you know, using your hands to work type of part of town. So it was really cool to uh, discover Patty in that sense. And she's just a really awesome person and I know you guys are a radio host, too. So there's a lot of fun stuff going to be in this episode. So without further ado, let me introduce the one and only Patty Vasquez. How are you, Patty?
1: I'm great. Oh, Joe, that was really a wonderful intro. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome to my oh, basement. Thank you. Welcome to the playroom.
0: <laughs> it looks pretty good. You got what, you got a little tent back there, yeah. it looks like.
1: Yeah, oh, the Buzz Lightyear. Rocket, yeah. There you go. Oh, nice. Yeah. Never fear. Got- buzz is here. Oh, yeah, Cub stuff.
0: Yeah. See the basement I've turned into like where all my cub stuff is, but I also have like a lot of little kids stuff. I can reach over here. Here's a toy story. It's uh bullseye, the oh, rocking there horse. You the go. Yeah. It used to, it used to make a sound. I don't think it does anymore though. Nah, bro. <laughs> Sounds but, like uh, yeah, my, it doesn't work. <laughs> my three-year-old and one-year-old are obsessed with toy story to the point oh. where we watch it almost every day, a version. Cause there's four movies. Now there's all the shorts on Disney plus and everything like that. And my wife and I looked up the Pixar history today. You know, Pixar actually started as a subsidiary of Lucasfilms, right? And then uh, Steve Jobs bought it in 1986, and then Disney bought it in like 2000 something, which then made Steve Jobs the biggest shareholder in Disney because of the yeah. deal. It's it's a sick uh, history of how rich Steve Jobs is, essentially.
1: It's incredible. And yet, I don't think he created anything. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he just well, was a guy that was like, "That's a good idea. Here's some money." I mean, I think he was an innovator. Don't get me wrong, but. It seemed like, I know this is like an old Bill Burr joke where he was like, hey, how about if we put all of our songs on one little thing? Well, who's going to do that? You do it. Get it done. And like he had other people doing it. Mm
1: -hmm. And that's, isn't that part of it is seeing something you like and then figuring out how to bring it to life. But we have some Pixar books too, if you ever want to do a deep dive, because Griffin's kind of grown out of it. So.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. I wouldn't mind that at all. My kids love books and everything like that. Um, I'm very excited to have you on because Uh, A lot of the comedians I have on, they're fun. They've got cool backstories. But I think you've got one of the most interesting (laughs) lives I've ever come across. Uh, Your your stand-up has always been very family-oriented, which I think is really cool. Uh, Because you have a a Mexican mother and an Irish father. Yep. So you've got that that blend of both worlds there. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And you mentioned being on the northwest side uh, and using your hands and and the working class sort of atmosphere of our community. Uh, My dad was a tuck pointer, Uh, even though I always talk about him being a cab driver. He was a tuck pointer. Yeah. Uh,
0: Well, you know what? I could use some use some tuck pointing. No lie, because there's a little bit of uh, the brick coming off the back of the house.
1: (laughs) I still have. I imagine he's retired. He passed away, but but I still have his oh, scaffolding. God. That's all right. But we had his tools for a long time. And a friend of his actually called us uh, about 10 years ago and said, hey, do you have your, your dad's uh, equipment still? And we gave him all like the – the uh, there's – God, I, I used to know like the, the names of the tools. But there's like this flat part that you have the mortar and you sort of slap it in between the bricks. I, I used to help my dad. Um, yeah. It was uh, – he – right. I, I, At Norwood Park – uh, we lived in Northwest Highway. You remember where um, uh, you're too young, actually. But did we did you remember the laser zone on Northwest Highway?
0: No, but no. why the hell did that place close? That sounds awesome. Laser zone.
1: <laughs> I was assistant manager. Was like manager. a laser tag place? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I was the assistant manager in 1988, uh, but I lived upstairs like two doors over. I lived above that. So, on Northwest Highway, where now Edward Fox Studios is, uh, right down the block from Roden Library. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, I know
0: exactly where that is now.
1: Yep. And so I came down the alley one day and I just see this like lawn chair hanging off the side of a chimney. And it was my dad. He had rigged his own chair off with a rope and a lawn chair and was just swinging back and forth, tuck pointing on the side of the chimney. Yep.
0: That's an <laughs> innovator right there. That's right. I like that. Yep. That's cool. Why did a lasers place? How do you not make money doing a laser zone in the neighborhood with all these kids? Oh, whatever. Well, I'm just maybe, bummed. I missed that window.
1: Maybe you let uh, 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds run your joint who don't quite know what they're doing. And then they let their friends play for free, maybe. I'm sorry I didn't know you at the time.
0: <sighs> yeah, I didn't think. I didn't think that <laughs>
1: Yeah.
0: You know, the thing is, the, like, a laser tag place, a bar is one of those ideas <laughs> where... As a kid, everyone's like, wouldn't it be cool to own this? Wouldn't it be cool to own that? And then you become an adult and you realize, oh, wait, that sounds awful. That sounds like a headache. You know what I mean? Like owning a child's play place. Like actually that Kitty Kingdom, I don't know if you heard, they're going to close permanently because of the whole COVID thing. Yeah. And my wife was like, oh, what a bummer, you know, because we've taken our kids there a few times. And I thought to myself, man, a lot of those places are going to go under those places where it's just like a, they got like a bounce house. They've got like they've got all these like kids stuff. And parents, you love it because you pay like 10 bucks. Yep. And the kids run around and tire themselves out. And you're like, sweet, they're going to take a three, four hour nap. This is perfect. And it wasn't that expensive. Obviously, you, you want to bathe them afterwards because, you know, some kids aren't very clean. Right. You know, those ball pits. Who the hell would let their kid get into a ball pit after a global pandemic?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how long it took after 1917 for there to be ball pit. <laughs> I don't know if there were ball pits in the 1920s, but no, you're right. I, th- I think that so many of the ways uh, that kids that we grew up, that our kid, the way we raised our kids, that's all gone uh, uh, for the most part, I would think. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just sad to me that certain businesses like that, you're like, is that going to come back? I can't imagine parents are going to be like, even when things open back up completely. Are parents going to rush back to a place like that? And then it sucks because our government didn't really take care of that level of business. Because that small business, that certain level, like I have a friend who has a yoga studio slash like pole dancing studio in the South Loop, Ooh. and she's incredibly talented. My friend Caitlin, Caitlin Marco, it's called um, Fly Club Pole Dancing. Everyone, if you're in the Chicago area, look it up. I think they're doing virtual classes now. It's like a mix of yoga and pole dancing. And uh, we were actually going to do a stand up comedy show there. Her and I were talking about setting it up for May. And it was going to be called Joke and Grind, kind of like Bump and Grind, but Joke and Grind. I think that's what the title was. And she's also a graphic artist. So she designed like a stand-up comedy microphone, like the mic stand, where it looks like a a pole dancer is like, you know, working the mic stand.
1: The brass, uh, shiny brass.
0: Yeah. The shiny brass. There you go. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be a cool idea. And it's and a lot of perverted male comedians. We know were like, dude, I, I got to get on that one. And I'm like, you're definitely not going to be on that one if you're that <laughs> excited. Cause you know, comedy <laughs> and burlesque is popular now. So we thought, Oh, yep. maybe comedy and pole dance would be cool. But I was talking to her and I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying this. I was like, are you going to get one of those loans? And she's like, no, because you have to pay that back. And I'm like, Oh yeah, of course it's a loan. And then the rates aren't that great. Right. And it's one of the things where once we, once these businesses open back up, the money they were making pre-COVID, they would have to make even more just to justify the loan. So that's why a lot of them are just kind of going under, which really sucks. A place by us, sorry, I'm rambling here a little bit, but I was yeah. really mad about this one. Stackers, mm-hmm. which is at Northwest Highway Nagel, that like, was only open for about a year. Yeah. Comedian Abi Sanchez, who we both know has been on the podcast, him and I would talk about how much we love that place. And it was my wife's favorite burger place, and they're done for good. Yeah, and It's depressing.
1: Well, it's interesting. So you mentioned your friend uh, didn't want to try for the. So there, were, the problem was there were so many different types of loans and programs like the CARES Act, the PPP, which is the uh, the, the protected the protection payment you know, uh, payroll plan. Right. And then there were small business loans. And anytime someone tried to apply for it they, it, they just made it so hard for these smaller businesses. Whereas these bigger corporations, you saw these stories about big restaurants. Oh, yeah. That were able to get those loans because they already have a built-in infrastructure for lawyers who knew how to play the game, right? Who could game the system, but some of those loans are actually going to be forgiven loans, and people don't realize that. But who wants to take a chance on maybe it'll be forgiven and then at a percentage that they can't afford right now? It's insane.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing that kills me the most, and and we're gonna get into some politics, of course. I, you know, I have friends who are still big Trump supporters and they will say stuff like, Hey, you can't blame him for a pandemic. I'm like, well, his response was bullshit. He called it a hoax way too late into it. Also though, look, yeah, you can't blame any president for a pandemic, but our government as a whole failed so badly. And you wouldn't have all these people freaking out being like, let us go back to work, you know, two months ago or two and a half months ago, even marching on uh, state houses and capitals and all that kind of stuff. If the government said, all right, listen. This is a serious thing. We have to shut down businesses, but we're going to pay you in the meantime, not just one $1,200 bullshit check. We're going to actually freeze bills so that there's a rent freeze, a mortgage freeze, and then everything will just start up again. It's like a timeout. It's like a pause on the economy and some parts of the economy, but like hedge funds and big businesses, they might suffer a little bit, but they Hey, should have saved for a rainy day, dickhead. You know what I mean? Like, I can't stand. They always tell the little guy, you should have been prepared, but the big guy never has to. How many times United Airlines, they never put oh. any money aside. Sometimes I just think, let the airlines collapse, but then it you know it affects all these other jobs. But I don't know. I, I go back and forth with like the economic theories behind that. Because obviously, in 2008, you, we couldn't let those banks collapse. I've, I read so many books where it's like, oh man, it would have been really bad if we just let them all fold. But now I'm thinking, all right, maybe that's not the worst idea. I mean, not with a bank, but with an airline, especially one that people can't stand anyway.
1: <laughs> Goodbye, spirit. Is that what we're saying?
0: Oh, spirit would be oh, first God. to go, of course. Yeah. That is still, yeah. I mean, every comedian has spirit jokes, but it really is one of, of those things that I don't even consider it a hacky subject. Yeah. Because when you hear spirit... Anyone I know who flies semi-regularly, something on the back of their neck goes, oh, yeah. I remember the first time being on Spirit, and I felt like screws rattling. And it's, it's, yeah. it's, it is a terrifying airline.
1: Well, it's not even what? people
0: complain about the extra cost. I complain about how it just doesn't feel safe in the sky.
1: No, there was duct tape on my seat. I, <laughs> I mean, come on. I put that on my Toyota. I don't want to see it on my jet, you know? I, I trust serious.
0: a Toyota in air more than a Spirit plane.
1: I agree. But to your point, use I
0: don't know who does it.
1: Ah, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. But uh, to your point about the federal response to the pandemic and whether or not you can blame Trump, can you? I mean, all it took was for a unified, a, a very standard response to this that was applied to all the states, and now you see, you know, Texas and Florida, Arizona where it's getting out of control and they're predicting that it's going to be up to a hundred thousand cases per day, at least, you know, positive. And that doesn't mean people who are going to manifest the physical illness, but at the same time, that means that they continue to transmit it to people who might be vulnerable and then put a strain on our healthcare system, and our hospitals. It's, it's, um, it, it's unconscionable the way he handled this, uh, and dismissed it, and and you know he talks about how wearing a mask is political now. That if you wear a mask, that means that you're a Democrat or a Lib or you're scared. I, you know, and look, we see the all the memes and all the conversations. I wear it to to respect other people. Uh, when I, I don't know. Do you go for walks with the kids? Are you, are you with uh, with yes. Your baby? Yes. So we so we go for I walks. Do. And, you know, it's always great when you see your neighbor and then you give each other some space on the sidewalk. It's just yeah, kind. That's all.
0: It's fine. Yeah, I know. We even kind of stopped. Like, I remember we were walking today and there were some neighbors getting into their house. So I just kind of like, stopped and waited. And then they looked and they're like, oh, and then they kind of did a little bit of a hustle to right. get into their house a little bit quicker. It's, you know, I got the Cubs stuff here. Cubs all-star oh. first baseman and great humanitarian Anthony Rizzo. There was a video of him on Twitter yesterday because Cubs players were reporting to Wrigley Field to get tested because, you know, they're going to try to start up the season. They say they're starting up the season, but I, have, I still have a weird feeling that something at the last minute's going to be like, nah, we can't do it. You're know, knocking on wood, actually. I want to think positive because I, I definitely do miss baseball. Is that uh, he was walking, the video was, you know, circulating, circulating Twitter. He's walking into Wrigley and some random people in the street were like, yo, Rizzo, hey, Anthony. And he's like waving and going, hey, what's up? And the one girl wasn't wearing a mask and he's got his mask on. and He's going, he's pointing at his mask to her and she's like, I know. And he's like shaking his head. And it's like professional athletes, every one of them was wearing a mask. I don't know why they have to make this a political thing. That's the problem is that they have to make that. And by they I don't just mean Republicans, because there are plenty of Democrats who pull this, this stuff, too. Everything it cannot every little thing. I, can't, I agree. Cannot be political, especially since like scientists like every, I know people were like Dr. Fauci's a quack. This guy was appointed by Reagan in 1984 and has been in that job since through Democrat and Republican presidents. All of a sudden, he just decided this whole idea of it's this mass conspiracy to make Trump look bad. You know, I don't want to put this out there, but assassination would have been way easier than getting 100 countries together to lie about a a pandemic. It just doesn't make sense to me at all that people can just buy into this. But that's just the world we're living in now.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of people take their politics as a personal attack on them. So if, if anything that's out there, just sort of hits them the wrong way, it becomes they go to mode. And, and that's where we are right now, I think, for everybody. And it's a shame because people are dying. Joe, uh, there were uh, three in the first two weeks, there were three people that I knew that died from COVID-19 back in March. Within a week after the uh, oh. the, the shelter in place, a uh, friend of mine, uh, her husband, I went to Lane Tech with a woman named Gretchen and her husband, Alvin, who I only met the fo- like it last uh, at the throwback fest. Have you ever gone to throwback fest? Over in uh, Gladstone. Uh, the,
0: Gladstone Park, yeah, where they do yeah. like, retro 80s music yeah. and stuff. I, I yeah. went like the one year, a couple years ago. It's
1: fun. It, it's fun. And yeah, that, it it's nice. Yeah. Yeah. And I met him and, you know, uh, just got a message that her husband had died. There was a neighbor over by St. Tars who I had just met during the campaign uh, he passed away and then there was a vet- a veterinarian who did a lot of uh, pro bono work for rescued animals in the neighborhood who died uh, within a week. That's my animal hospital. Oh, really? The one,
0: uh, yeah. We got that email from the animal hospital that said like the, I think the owner of it uh, died. I believe it was the owner.
1: Over at Niles. So yeah, yeah.
0: that's. Yeah, that sucks. And, uh, you know, my wife's a nurse, so I I did an episode of the podcast where I told people, like, yeah, this isn't a joke. I mean, she's telling me horror stories that I can't repeat with detail because there's HIPAA laws and stuff like that. But basically, of people coming in on a Friday and dying on a Sunday. Yeah. And, yeah, some some sad stuff. So I, I just... And clearly the fact that the states of Texas and Florida, who both were like, their governors were like, ah, it's the cold and it's fine and blah, blah. They are now, Texas is now, I saw this three hours ago. I got like a little news alert for it on my phone saying that the governor of Texas has now ordered face masks after recently saying he would never make an order of face masks being required. So, and and here's what I need to tell people too. And I'm sure I've said this before on the podcast. So to my loyal listeners, I apologize for sounding like a broken record. When billion dollar industries like the NCAA, NBA, Major League Baseball, um, AMC movie theaters, like all of these, you know, maybe Hollywood studios, when all of them shut down, yep. it's serious because they, they don't not want to make money. The, their only thing they want to do is make money. They operate to make money. So when that ends... I mean, that's a huge part of the economy and something that really screwed over our profession as comedians. Uh, You know, we were talking about the the triple P and all the loans for businesses. I finally, fingers crossed, today, after struggling to figure it all out, got got my unemployment insurance, I'm pretty sure, figured out. Because they had a weird thing too with that where, you know, we're considered like gig workers, I guess, performers, entertainers, essentially. So, you know, we operate with 1099s and whatnot. I, here's what you had to do. This is so stupid. You had to apply for the regular Mm -hmm. Illinois unemployment insurance, which I knew I would get rejected for, but that's the part of the process. You have to get rejected. Mm -hmm. Then only after getting rejected, could you apply for the PUA, which is the pandemic unemployment assistance or whatever, which is just such a stupid thing. Let me go straight to the thing. Why make me, fill out all this stuff just to reject me so then I have to fill out it's, it's such a headache well, and yeah and you probably know a lot about it too well,
1: well it also but it also highlights because there are so many people across the country who are independent contractors that's what we are for the most part whether you're a lift driver or a comic and a lot of different artists and And there's a lot of, you know, independent contractors in different parts of different industries. But imagine, you know, what's even worse, not just being an independent contractor, trying to qualify for PUA. Imagine having W-2s and 1099s. They didn't know what to do with any of that. And imagine you maybe had a a company that fired you. and um, (laughs) We'll get to that uh, and perhaps, uh, denied your, uh, unemployment when you originally applied for it. So then it hangs up the whole thing. So there were a lot, I mean, so there are a lot of people who, and, and even now people who try to call are unable to get through the system to even figure out how they qualify for unemployment. It's really, I think it's one of the things that's going unreported, and people are not, you know, calling attention to as much because it's just people on the phone every day trying to get through or online and they keep getting, you know, dumped out of the system. It's, um, those aren't folks that are, are likely to show up at the governor's office or even like register more than a question at a press conference. And it's, it's sad.
0: And you can't go into the office. No. Explain yourself. No. I had a weird thing that when, when I first applied, I think they then changed the rule because I got something from SAG-AFTRA saying that the residuals won't count against you. Like SAG went out of everyone that's a Screen Actors Guild, a union I'm part of, and they went out of their way to send an email going, hey, this shouldn't affect you from getting um, pandemic unemployment insurance, was that I received a residual check like the last week of March for like $18 from an episode right. of Chicago Med I did, which was a television show that Patty you were on like what, three or four episodes of, I think. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. A good sta- good crew of people working over on Chicago Med. Uh, it's fun to be on a Dick Wolf show, you know? Oh yeah. Uh, right. A lot of money there or a lot of success there, I should say. But actually I do mention, I was talking to a friend recently cause there's that notion. Sorry, I'm getting sidetracked everyone. Just a quick side note. Cause I'll forget that's to mention we, this. That's how go- we work. That's how we talk yeah. is that um, I saw like a tweet saying there are no good billionaires. And I, I don't know if your comedian brain works like this. I think most comedians' brains do like work like this. When we hear there's no something, we go, well, that can't be true. Right. I just I have to find the opposite. So I looked it up. There are some good billionaires. Dick oh, sure. Wolf, as far as I know, is a good billionaire because the TV shows he creates are all union shows. So everyone's getting paid well. Where like a lot of billionaires, like even Jordan, who I love, the money he made off of his playing as a basketball player is great. But he got his billions off of shoes. The shoes are sweatshop, so he exploited, right. or Nike, but through him as well, he benefited from it. They built a lot of empire on exploiting child labor in you know other countries. So you can't really say good billionaire there, can you? And uh, here's another good billionaire for you. And I've been on a big Beatles kick. Paul McCartney.
1: There you go. He's, yeah. You
0: know, weird. I don't think he exploited anyone to write songs. You know, I don't. I don't know what. Usually, artists get screwed over the other way. So the fact that he's Uh, Become a billionaire off of a lot of like royalties and, and you know, selling albums and I'm sure concerts will go to show you that like, okay, yeah, I can't imagine too many people got ripped off in the process of him becoming a billionaire. Anyhow. All right. Back to what I was saying though. Yes. I got, yeah, I got a residual check. So then they were saying I got paid by one of my employers. I'm like, I got an $18 check. How do you guys not see that? I'm not living off an $18 residual check from doing three lines on a TV show two years ago. It was just, and so that is another thing that if you were talking to a human being and not the computer and a computer system that's backed up because they just they, they, that's one thing where I'm like, all right, I'm kind of with Republicans in the sense that I think it's a, like government programs are smart and stuff like that. But, you know, how Republicans always say the government can't do anything right with some websites. They fuck it up badly. Oh, and it's like stop hiring people, you know. And actually source this out to like find a twenty three year old fresh out of Silicon yeah. Valley, and they'll run it a million times better. You'll yeah. save some money in the process because the, the, every government website I've ever dealt with is stupid.
1: Oh, and and the website—I mean, you can go to. Uh, there are comics who have better websites that are interactive <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: in ways that the state cannot seem to do. Hannibal's it, website it, is amazing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to visit his website we have to tell it's really
0: that. cool actually yeah. his website when you go to it, it's it got like the home page and as you scroll up it shows like clips of him on like like him walking on a cone shaking conan's hand and you don't nice. hear the sound but i think you hear like some like hip-hop music as like it shows him like you know seen scene in um the movies he's been in I forget how many movies he's been in lately uh, he was, was in like, spider-man homecoming
1: exactly is not that exciting he's the coach the so cool. yeah. yeah
0: yeah it's great Hannibal's a friend of ours, everyone. Hannibal Burris, you know, if you're a comedy, comedy fan, you know who the hell Hannibal Burris uh, is.
1: Yeah, he's So great.
0: I'm glad we could talk a little politics, because yeah. uh, you ran in my district. Uh, I had proud lawn signs, and I still have the lawn Thank signs, you. actually. Good. I'm going to yeah. need them. No, I know, because that's what I hold said. Hold on to
1: them, yep.
0: Well, I threw, I had another person's I'll, I'll, lawn sign on my lawn, and I threw that one away. But yours, I'm like, I can't throw it away. It's my friend Patty. I, so it's in, uh, it's in my backyard against, I'll, like, the I'll back pick fence it up. there.
1: I'll hold on to it for you.
0: Well, I could. I'll hold. I put it in the garage and I'll throw it back on the lawn. Right, yeah. um, so I'm glad you're not giving up because I I think you did incredibly well. I think you should be very proud of yourself. Thank I know you. you didn't get the you didn't get the result you wanted, but for someone who had never run for office before in the Democratic machine that is Chicago politics, Ooh. which I know you've got some stories about. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start at the beginning, though. Yeah. Uh, what was the final? You were like, was it like you got like 37 percent of the vote, and yeah. she got like 43 or 44?
1: Yeah, it was somewhere around there. So there were three candidates, there was an incumbent uh, who had been appointed, uh, and had the full force of the machine, as you mentioned. And the last I had seen, because I didn't get the final numbers. And I think that, you know, we go back and forth on it. I was in the high 30s, she was in the low 40s, and Joe was in the low 20s. That's kind of the best I get I have of that. Because you have to remember, obviously, we were in the the day of the primary was a full force of the pandemic and leading up to that day, there were people who were doing mail-in ballots. A lot of people didn't get their ballots in time. We don't know when they were counted. So the final numbers, um, there's just, for me, there's no strategizing for a pandemic. No campaign has ever had to do that. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of it and I know I scared a lot of people and for it is that I continue to scare them and that's fine by me.
0: Hell yeah. I like that attitude. (laughs) Get in there and mess up their worlds. Yeah. No people that, you know, I used to be a weird, um, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is like, like when I was younger, I had this like idealism about how things should be. And I think I got this from like an episode of the West wing where the president said, when you trust the voters, like elections are term limits you know, by setting Absolutely. term limits, yeah, you're, when you have term limits, you are essentially saying that you don't trust the voters mm-hmm. because you're, they won't be able to spot corruption. So we have to get people out of a certain amount of years. Right. And I, so I used to be like, no, I'm against term limits, but I'm starting to get to the point where I'm like, maybe they're not that bad of an idea because you get these cogs in this machine mm-hmm. that make it very difficult for other people to get into that world. And I know you, I'm sure you have some stories. I remember talking to you not that long ago about how you were like, Trying to get support from someone and they were like, Well, actually, we heard that you did this one time, blah 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 blah. And right. you're like, What? And and right. and there was some, it became one of the now it was state representative, which is nice. You go to you know, go out to Springfield and you help yeah. you know shape laws for the state of Illinois. That's a big deal, don't get me wrong. But I've never in my life, and granted I'm only 35. But I've I've paid attention, especially to local politics. My my Mm -hmm. grandfather was a Cook County Circuit Court judge. I come from a family where we'd get together every Sunday for dinner. And even as a seven year old, I remember hearing all the adults like talking loudly about politics, especially local. So I've always kind of kept an eye to it. I don't recall a local election getting nasty the way this one did. Yep. Apparently, everyone, Patty hates women.
1: Uh, Not only that. And
0: doesn't want them to have the right to choose wants them mm-hmm. all to be barefoot and pregnant. And and mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm joking, obviously. But well, yeah, give us a little backstory on that.
1: Sure. Uh, that was surprising, but I will say this, and there's a lot to it. Um, and it would require a very long conversation that you and I could have a couple of uh, bottles of JMO over. But um, no, you're right. And, and what was unique about this was the incumbent, uh, not only did she send out negative mailers, typically what I learned during the campaign Is if you're going to send out negative mailers that are that heinous, you have what's called an independent expenditure. So somebody else pays for it for you. So your name isn't even on it. It's not like vote for you know Lindsey Lepoint. It's you know it's just a sort of a it's just a nasty front to back attack mailer. Uh, What she did was what we understand is that nobody else wanted to pay for it because it was so outside. The even for many people in Chicago and Illinois politics, it was beyond the pale, um, because the other thing is, I worked uh, very hard for many years in Springfield trying to call attention to our legislature. Uh, I also tried to you know, make sure that the, the message was getting out there to what their work was, what Democrats were trying to accomplish. So I have a lot of friends in Springfield and she has lost a lot of respect amongst people. Like people are still talking about how nasty those mailers are. So it, the mailers uh, for folks who don't, aren't familiar with uh, uh, the northwest side politics or hadn't seen this. By the way, Joe, there were five. There were five different ones that came out for a total of five hundred, at least a half a million pieces of paper with my face on them attacking me and a police officer named Joe Duplassian. We are both accused of being uh dangerous extremists. And
0: that's, I know, which is so crazy to me.
1: <laughs> and I my- got,
0: I think twice a week, I would get them twice a week for like the month of like late like yeah. mid February, oh. you know, right up to the election. I was getting these every day and I'm getting them, just throwing them right through the garbage. Cause I know you and I know it's not true. But yeah, it's weird. I just can't remember like such foul play over, you know, you expect that for presidential politics, you know, U.S. senator, perhaps governor. But uh, I've never seen it for like a local thing.
1: It it was it was shocking. Well, and so part of that was the her mentor who had previously been my mentor, who is now your state senator, uh, was somebody I had worked with for a very long time. And he had access to information about uh, a situation that happened at my previous employer. So what you might not have noticed on the last two negative mailers, it went from discussing extremists. It was she's being funded by right wing conservatives who supported somebody else who don't believe in abortion, even in the cases of rape and incest. So that was so. And what they did was they highlighted the words in red rape and incest. So it looked like I was somebody who would not protect victims or survivors. And part of the problem for me was that I am a survivor. I was uh, I was sexually assaulted when I was four years old. So that was one of the reasons we came out swinging. And Joe Duplestin, the police officer, was linked to domestic violence. He's a survivor of domestic violence. His father Uh, brutalized his mother. And it was very upsetting for him. Here's a guy who served in the military, is a police officer. And the incumbent, who is right now, our legislator had no problem attacking survivors. So uh, she claims to be the social worker. It's fascinating. The whole thing is fascinating. But the senator uh, prompted her. I just found out recently that the Senator actually uh, fed information to the other, one of the other campaigns. Um, so one of the mailers that you might not have noticed said that I had an order of protection against me. Did you notice that one? No, yeah. I didn't
0: see that one. That's strange. Yeah.
1: yeah. So because it was a, it was the uh, fourth and fifth ones they sent out, they all look pretty much the same. And then they started changing the language. They start throwing
0: them in the garbage.
1: Thank you. Uh, and, 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 but here's the thing. A lot of people actually started
0: wiping my ass with them, and it wasn't good paper.
1: (laughs) I was out. I really, I wanted to. It was, it was, it was surreal. But I was out in front of the uh, 16th District Police Station, and people during the early voting, and people would yell at me. Uh, you know, I you you don't you don't believe in a woman's right to choose. You don't support victims. Um, in front of the Jefferson Park train station, someone said, "Are you are you as crazy as those mailers say?" So the reason that that they use the op, it said, uh, "Patty harassed a coworker so badly they sought an order of protection." So at my previous employer, where I worked for many years, and you were you joined me at that uh, previous employer. Yeah. Um, Thank you. That was fun. Yeah, I reported sexual harassment and abuse and they made my life much harder and worked to marginalize me. And then when I, I I submitted six pages of abuse from a coworker and when they found out about my report, they went into a courtroom and tried to, uh, they got an order of protection, but they also put on that, that I might have a weapon on me or in my home. And the reason I know that, Because the senator has a very good friend who's in the Cook County Sheriff's Department. They pulled the file for me, read it to me over the phone to my lawyers, So we would know exactly what was on the report before they came before I was served. I was never served. So they fed all that. They put that on. The the whole thing was dismissed and vacated because there was no proof. I hadn't done anything to harass or uh, uh, intimidate or. Uh, threaten this young person and uh, they they were just angry because they felt like I hadn't paid some price or I hadn't gotten enough trouble at work. Yep. Yeah. That's, and they put that on the mailer. And, and the thing is um, for the rest of their political careers, these people It's such it's so short sighted because they are willing to attack survivors of sexual violence, sexual harassment and workplace abuse. That's out there now. That's public record. They have no compunction to try to squash somebody. But I think you're pretty aware they picked the wrong girl.
0: (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah, I knew. I mean, I remember just thinking to myself, I, I had no doubt in my mind that you would run again, that because I, I just know the type of person you are that it's, you're not going to let walls get in your way. You're going to be like, Oh, okay. All right. You're building with that type of material. I need to get something that's going to knock that that down. Yeah. And so let me ask you this then let we're talking about yeah. the negative aspect of it. Yeah. Let's start with why did you decide to run? Sure. Let's just go with that obvious question. What made you decide, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to put my hat in the ring. And I know you'd been political for a while on your, on your radio show on WGN you used to go down to Springfield and you, you fought for, uh, you know, the rights of uh, autistic children, um, yep. special needs kids, which is amazing and great. And, um, not just for your son, but for, you know, children everywhere, which is fantastic. So I always knew you like were, were political, but, um, When I heard you were running, I was like, first of all, I could see that, but I wanted to know why exactly, because a lot of people talk about it. A lot of people are like, ah, I'd like to, you know, I joke around being like, I could be an alderman. Why not? You know, but who knows, (laughs) you know, a lot of people don't follow through on those type of things, but you actually followed through, you put your name out there. What made you decide to do it?
1: I, one, I, if anyone ever even thinks about it, uh, email me and I, I will encourage you if it's something that you're passionate about and you, and you have the time and the, and the support of your family do not hesitate to reach out because, uh, you should never, it's kind of like the idea of you should don't, don't die without that book you want to write or that song you want to sing or whatever. Don't, don't end your life not pursuing that thing that you thought you could have done or should have done. Um, and I'm really proud of the race that we ran. I thought about it uh, about 10 years ago because my son Declan was born medically fragile. I say autism because, um, the way he behaves is very classically uh, sort of uh, acknowledged as looking autistic, but Declan's missing part of his brain and he wasn't supposed to live when he was born. The doctors did not think he would survive. And about 10 years ago when he was four or five years old, I started thinking that, you know, this is, I had no idea what it was like to raise a child who was significantly disabled. We always see families and we feel sorry for them. And, you know, we, we, you kind of think, thank God it's not me. That's just part of it. And and you you know it's just true and, and I think that's okay to be honest about it, but from the yeah. inside of it, yeah. I From the inside, I thought I, I could do a lot to help people because of my perspective from this side of how hard life can be. Because it's sort of for me translated to not just dis- disability, but also poverty and racial injustice and gender issues. Uh, you know, healthcare actually at the very top of every of it is healthcare. To me, healthcare is the battle of our lifetime it is what keeps people in jobs they don't like it's what keeps them from being able to live the life they want so um that was what i why i wanted to run and i thought maybe alderman and i was dissuaded from that and that was in 2009 we had an alderman that had been there for a long time and then uh john arena won the aldermanic race a couple years later and you know he was fine and uh, actually was on my show a few times developed a relationship with him And in the meantime, started going to Springfield when Governor Rauner started making really severe cuts to services across the state. And that's when, and I had already been advocating in Springfield for different services starting in 2010. But in 2015, that's when I really, and it was what's crazy about this, Joe, and I think we we might've talked about this, the same year I started going to Springfield was the same year I sold my sitcom to ABC Studios. I sold a sitcom based on my life. And um, it's funny because thinking about it now, uh, it what was, was the name of it again? It was called Patty Happens.
0: Okay, Patty Happens. Yeah. There we go.
1: Yeah, because but I like remember big... you.
0: I remember you flying out to LA a bunch. Yeah, yeah, time.
1: yeah. We were under development. We uh, went to script. We did not shoot the pilot. We were down. It was between me and Gabriel Iglesias, who was one is one of the most successful comedians in the world. He's like the top three ticket selling comics.
0: Yeah, um, he's huge.
1: Yeah. So well, yeah. Ticket wise, Gotcha.
0: And um, he's a little yeah. bit, but you know what I mean.
1: It's just, yeah. And, and it was, it was crazy because all I wanted to do was be in Springfield. Here I was, Joe, w- I got the brass ring, but it wasn't a show that I was writing. It was, I basically sold my life rights because my life is crazy. And it's called Patty Happens because I can take any situation and make it much worse for everyone, um, <laughs> which leads us back to politics. Um so uh, I got very involved. And when Trump won, I was on the air at, at my previous job. And at the end of my show, at 2 a.m., he took the stage. We went to the green room afterwards. And I told my political roundtable, I go, I, I make me a candidate. What does it take to run for office? And so we started looking around. And the legislators that we had uh, representative Martwick and Senator Mulroe were people that I felt were doing a job. They were getting the votes. They were well regarded. They had you know these war chests with incredible amounts of money, and we just didn't see a path. I didn't see running against them or John Arena. And then Senator Mulroe became a judge, and that's where everything started. Last April, I started pursuing that appointment. Uh, the representative uh, Martwick uh, decided to take the Senate seat, in a bunch of like you know there was there were a lot of deals that were made. And, and to your point about how you still think we, we kind of carry that idea that good people should run, that, you know, that we lead up to the voters. But there are a lot of mechanisms in place. And, and one of the things that I've learned in the last year, are even the people that um, talk these grand stories about democracy uh, under the surface, there's a lot of power that is not just controlled, but there's a lot of energy put towards making sure that that has ever become vulnerable. And uh, I, I, like I said, I'm more than happy to scare them a little bit. And uh, so I just, I decided to pursue the rep seat because uh, the legislator was somebody who wasn't, no one was familiar with. Uh, they didn't have a lot of experience. There was no reason, there wasn't uh, enough money for me to run against the Senator. Uh, it's a level of district. So, you know, the we you and I live in the 10th Senate district and the 19th rep district there's about 110,000 voters in the I believe in the 19th and then so double that uh the 10th district goes all the way up to Rosemont parts of Park Ridge a little bit of Niles it's massive so
0: that's it yeah, yeah 110,000 voters I mean that's people over the age of 18 so you mix kids in there it's a pretty good uh size yeah. there I mean what yeah. is it 600,000 people you get yeah. a U.S. rep so that tells you how big it is And in- you know state level right there. Um yeah. all right. So yeah, you so, decided so, all right, I'm so that, going for
1: it. There, I'm going for it. So that was a long way to tell you. But yeah, it it was it was fascinating. It was and uh yeah, I, I threw I, I started my pack. Uh so you start a political action committee. You go in and you fill out the paperwork. Um You say, you know, friends of Patty Vasquez, you name it, what you think is the best way to go. And we were off to the races. I just started going door to door, not ringing bells. And before even signatures, I would just go to my neighbors and I say, hi, I'm Patty. Uh, I'm going to run to be your rep. Tell me what's important to you. How can I help you? And that's what I started doing back in August.
0: Okay, let me ask you this. What did you... Let's say what did you love about it first then I'll ask you what you hated about it. Sure. What did you love the what did you enjoy the most about running for office?
1: Oh, definitely talking to people, learning their stories. I mean like and it's corny because um what happened along the way was I would see the incumbent say the same things knowing that we were on far more doors. By the time we, everything was said and done, I was up to about 250 doorbells that I was ringing and we were averaging about, you know, 30, some conversations because you figure people don't answer their doors or they're not home. Uh, They got a lot of ring bells and Joe, you'll love this. As a comic, I became a performance artist. So for the ring bells, I would have a piece of paper that would say, hi, my name is Patty Vasquez. I'm running to be your state rep. I'm just your neighbor and like my website. So like from, from the, uh, uh love actually movie so it was it oh was, yeah yeah of course yeah and we we had volunteers coming to our office they were like that's the funniest thing i ever saw you know but you had to find a way to connect with people because not everybody wants to talk to somebody ringing their doorbell you know
0: were there any live debates
1: uh there were no debates there were it's a
0: bummer because as a yeah. comedian i feel like you'd have a leg up on both of them
1: i'm just saying i always Man. wanted
0: to I I always wanted I don't think I could ever run for actual office. I don't think I have the temperament for it. <laughs> I feel like uh, I would, I would just love just to see qualified. that race, my friend. Yeah.
1: I would love to see that
0: though. <laughs> I, so. I feel like I'd threaten to fight the other people. But um I always thought I'd be a great political consultant. Ooh. Because you know, I, I'm good at like comebacks. So whenever I think to myself, oh, if they run this political ad, bam, we hit them with this one. So easy. Yeah. You know, i I was always good like on the schoolyard, if someone was doing like your mama jokes, oh, I dominated those. And I think nice. debates are essentially that.
1: Yeah. And I that's agree.
0: where I feel, that's where I feel like sadly though because there used to be some level of decorum which has gone away. I remember going going back to the whole Trump being elected in 2016. I remember watching the first debate with Trump, you know, Trump versus Hillary, and mm-hmm. all my friends who were Hillary supporters being like she was so poised, she did so great, she killed him. And I remember being like w- you don't know the average person like I do. You don't know the average voter. Right. I think he won that. And my friends were like no way he won that. I go they go, he looked like a child up there. I go, nah, he got the the sound bites. And I still get, I see that that gif all the time of Trump leaning into the microphone and be like, wrong, wrong. Like, you know, right. like that, that, those were, he, he knows how to do television. Right. People could hate him all you want and you, for good reason to hate him, but he does know television. Yes. He, he knows reality TV. He knows what gets people riled up, which is why he's given up on the pandemic. He doesn't talk about it anymore because he knows it's an L, it's a loss.
1: That's- yeah, there's no. So, so now he's there.
0: talking about statues. He's talking about statues and flags and kneeling because there's that he could rile his people up. But if he talks about the pandemic, they'll be reminded of oh yeah, you were an idiot by this. So it's a loss for him. And that's anyway though. I just feel like as a comedian, we're pretty good at. I would have done it in a classier way, but I, I was pretty good at doing a, a thing where I'm like, oh, I could debate you and and be able to stay on message, but also have people going. Damn it, I want to vote for that person. You
1: know? (laughs) Well, and but here was the thing. uh, When we so we had several forums, I'm trying to think. uh, I think the first one we had was the Jefferson Park Chamber of Commerce, and that was fine. And then, uh, you know, we would we often were in the same room, Joe and LaPointe and me, uh, like for endorsement sessions, like SEIU for unions and things like that. And that's another beast altogether as far as like, you know, they tend to go either with the incumbent and because I was running against a police officer and a tradesman. So Joe DePlesson is in the Carpenters Union. Uh, So I was actually kind of fortunate because the AFL CIO went neutral because there was an incumbent, but then CTU, SEIU, Lindsay uh, ended up raising about $300,000. Joe, I think $330,000. Joe raised over uh, $200,000. Um, I came in in a little over 100. So, again, proud of what we accomplished with what we had. And oh, the point-, oh, point got like endorsement after endorsement from like the heavy hitters. Somebody called in a ton of favors, Durbin, Quigley, uh, Lightfoot. I mean, it was like body blow after body blow. I'm like, are you what? What is why do you care? And to your point, Joe, a rep race doesn't typically bring in your federal you know, your national leaders. You don't have Quigley, Durbin. That never happens.
0: Yeah, it was bizarre.
1: And that was what was crazy was that their photos are on the negative mailers calling me a disgusting extremist. And the fact that she attacked the survivor of sexual harassment and sexual violence and a police officer. We wanted to run an ad that said, Durbin and Quigley hate moms and cops. (laughs) 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 We're like, what are you doing? It was, it was very strange. And I, and I look, you know uh, they, they say that politics is a game of addition. You want to, you know, you want to add supporters, you want to build relationships, Uh, but the while, and I plan on telling my story and, and I have no qualms about that. Uh, But uh, you know, the, I, I I did, I, I think because we are comics uh, I do love the fight. So we all were together at the sun times we all presented. Um, I mean, you know when you had a good show, Joe. We we know. When oh, yeah? We, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean. You know it. You yeah. can't go
0: to bed that night. No. It's like, like, you can't go to bed right away. Let's, yeah, let's do I've, it I've, again. I've, I've yeah. often told people where, I remember when I first started doing stand-up all the time, and, you know, you got to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, I, this is what I need to be doing and what I should be doing. Yeah. Because, you know, you're killing it. You're killing it consistently. I remember telling my wife, I'm like, look, when I have a killer set, I can't come home and go right to bed. Exactly. Because I'm too, like, you know, you yeah. got to, like.
1: The you gotta ride that
0: high a little bit. Yeah, got the adrenaline going. Yeah. You wanna yeah. that's why comedians and musicians and anyone like athletes, I'm sure, you know, when you have, you know, if you're a professional athlete and you drop 30 points, you drop a triple double, you're not you want to go yeah. to the bar afterwards. Yeah. You want to go hang out.
1: Yeah, it's a and great you, feeling. Yeah. And stressed. then and then to do that politically, to it was it was so like it was weird to know that the deck was stacked against me really feeling good about the fact that I knew I was a better candidate that I would do a better job. And, and I don't say that because um, yeah, it sounds so narcissistic, but as comics and as somebody who runs for office, you have to believe you can do the job for people. And what I believed, and, and I will uh, say this for the rest of my, you know, uh, this will be my first campaign. I'll always remember this. The can't the incumbent is not a lion. She's not somebody who will fight and push things, she will just push the button and be like, this is a good enough bill. I wanna know how we make that bill better. How do we make sure that that legislation doesn't have unintended consequences? How do we hold people accountable? And the other thing was, I was not gonna be beholden to anybody, no special interests, no heavy power politicians, not the machine. And, And that was something I was, that was exciting to know that we had a chance at being somebody unique that could bring new energy to our state government where it's so, so desperately needed. Um, and I will say, and I, and I'm sure you know about this and you, and please don't hesitate to, we, I'm not, I'm not uncomfortable talking about my family history that had to come out during the campaign, you know, about my name. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, yeah. Um, I still remember you told me when I, I was a guest on your show, your radio show. Yeah. And we were talking about, I think at the time there was some play. Oh yeah. Um, At one of the northwest side theaters,
1: or was it the haunted house? I think it was both. There was a haunted house, and there was a haunted house, or something
0: like that. And I brought it up, and you said, "If I could handle seeing that, given my like family history," and then I was kind of like, "Gave you look like what? What history is this?" Because you never know. Some things that when people say family and history, you you tread lightly as the person not part of that. You don't want to just be like, "Hey, what happened?" Um, and you, your brother, Mm -hmm. um. This was an older brother or younger brother?
1: My uh, my older brother, my dad's only older son, okay. so I, my half brother Michael. Yep,
0: um, was uh, one of John Wayne Gacy's victims, mm-hmm. which is um, I, you know obviously that's one of the most famous serial killers in, you know, United States, America history Mm -hmm. right there. I mean, what, I think what 33 victims he had or something pretty high like that.
1: They they know. Yes. 33 that they know. And, uh, I, so throughout my life, I've, I've talked to a lot of the people who are close to the case. So, and the reason this comes up is because I chose the the last name Vasquez is my, it's my mother's maiden name. Uh, when I started doing stand up comedy in 1996, um, it was the same summer that John Wayne Gacy was going to be executed. And I decided that was it 95, maybe 95, but um, I just, he was going to be executed. And the idea that our names are going to be in the paper again, Bonin is not a very common name. uh, And I just, the thought of people knowing that, a part of my story or my history and then wanting to, know, I mean, can you imagine doing man cow show for like the number of years? That's all he would have ever, they called me when the story came out. And the reason the story came out was because LaPointe's campaign started a whisper campaign. That's what they taught. They call a whisper campaign where they, for us, it was messages. So, people from her campaign started messaging people and saying, Oh my God, you know, Patty Vasquez is using her husband's name to sound more white, thinking that Bonin was my husband. I never changed my name from Bonin because it was my dad's name. And Mike was the last boy in the family. So, I never changed my name to my husband's name. So, they started saying that I was pandering to white people. And then they started spreading rumors with other people saying I was using Vasquez to pander to Latinos and progressive voters. And I honestly, Joe, I mean, You know, to hold that story so tight and tightly, and to um, be so protective, to think that I was going to be in public forums and be asked, like, "Well, why do you use this name?" I was like, "I, it's time," because I had to use the name on the ballot legally. Um, I was like, "Okay, let's just let's let's get ahead of this. Let's make sure that we don't um, have to be at at an endorsement session." And I, I didn't know. I didn't know if I would start crying in the middle of a of a meeting. You know, I had no idea. So.
0: Yeah, I think that's – you know what gets me, though? The same people who would be like, oh, she used this for this and used this for that. Mm-hmm. Those are the people who would 100% do that. You yeah. know what I mean? Those are the people they, who, if they he, were he, running for judge, yes. would be like, my name's Margaret Patricia mm-hmm. Kelly McGuire Sullivan. Like, you yeah. know, those are the people who would – I know I have a fucking shamrock on my podcast logo right now. But that's that's a thing. Maybe my national listeners don't know this. But in Chicago politics, the judges, you just say yes or no yeah. on when you get your ballot. Right. And there was an old saying in Chicago, just vote for the Irish last names. Yeah. That that went around for whatever reason, because, you know, the Irish were very political. They got a hold of the Democratic machine through um, Mayor Daley in the 50s and 60s and, and beyond that. And so, you know, everyone was like, you know, make your name sound even more Irish. So some people right. would like... They would use their first initial. I noticed. Yes, they, I've I've seen on the ballot it would be like J Mary O'Sullivan or whatever. Right, and it's like how what, what was it Juanita? Like you know what's the J for? <laughs> right. Where you're hiding? because yeah. if you hide your first initial, that's weird, you know. Or they're using middle names when they never would normally use middle names. Or you know, I'm supp- one day you're gonna see on a Chicago Cook County ballot, I should say, the whole county, uh, you're gonna see something that says like, um, Colleen Patricia and then M it's going to be, the last name is going to be the initial right? because they're going to be hiding the last name from being like, I don't know, like a Polish last name or something. They're going to like, you know, minimize it. It's, it's, it's a crazy thing. So when, yeah, when you're, when Bonin showed up,
1: yeah,
0: I'm sure these were people who just want, the gossip of like, how dare you, or you're doing this or you're doing that when those are the same people who would do it if they had the chance, right. you know, you ever noticed that the same people who, who say they're using the race card. I'm like, you are mad that you can't use it. That's what like that's you would use it every day. That'd be your ace of spades if you could use it.
1: Well, get this, Joe. We started the first, the first mailer, or they call it a walk piece. So when I would like when I rang your bell, I was so excited. I'm like, I texted you. I think I'm like, please tell me this is your door. Uh, he said yeah. Kell Gallant on the door. Um, but her did, first. That's right. Yeah. Her first walk piece. So you, it's lit and you put it in the door. Um, you know, I had been giving speeches and we had been in different forums up until like leading up to the first time we saw her walk piece. I'm not kidding you. It said uh, has uh, her extensive work with children with special needs. And we were like, uh, you're trying to own the territory." I mean, it was so funny. She was chasing her a challenger, trying to occupy this territory of helping children with disabilities You know, it's like it had never come up. Not once had she ever said I helped. And so that whole idea of pandering was fascinating to me because, and and it's something that people continue to do. Uh, They'll say that I I was pandering to white people. I was pandering to Latinos. I mean, I guess as a comic, as performers, we just aim to please. And I guess that's the same thing as pandering. We just like show up and we're ourselves. But I I don't, I, I, the idea that I'm like being calculated about something is just so str- it's just not it's outside of my experience
0: i know i want to apologize earlier at one point i was looking off i was getting like it's okay. my computer i'm getting pop-ups on this stupid thing all of a sudden you ever had those your computer where all of a sudden you're like why am i getting pop-up ads and i disabled this in 2013 oh, I'm, I'm still
1: not any of that yeah i
0: probably went on a website i shouldn't have gone on anyhow um, <laughs> <laughs> i do i had a couple the, notes that i wanted to yes throw at you
1: yes um i'm ready were
0: you, you, obviously you weren't worried that any of your past jokes would hurt you as a candidate, right?
1: Um, there was a point where we had, uh, so you, you we spent, I spent more money on the front end than I wish, I, I wish I had, I had that to do over again. Cause you're new and people come at you and they're like, we'll do this for you and we'll do that for you. And one of the things they wanted to do was go through my material to find any jokes that could be uh, used against me. And I was like, uh, I'm sorry, 25 years of stand-up comedy, plus five nights a week of three to four hours uh, of radio. I, I was like, I don't have that kind of money. If they have it, you know, I always knew, I always knew it was going to be the order protection. I always knew that the uh, incumbent's mentor would use that. None of my campaign believed it. And I was like, no. They had they had nothing else to use at all. Yeah, except, except for mean, my material. Yeah,
0: it's funny you mentioned with comedy. That's obviously there's a whole lot going on in the world of social media in which comedians are getting in trouble for things they used to say. And I'm not sticking up for any of the things people. Some people said some really dumb stuff. Some other people, it's like okay, let's relax yeah. a little bit here. But like you said, 25 years of stand-up comedy plus doing okay. a radio show five yeah. nights a week for three hours. You're, it's just inevitable. It's inevitable. Like there's, I've done this podcast now, 106 episodes, the average episodes, an hour and a half. So we're talking about over hundred of hundreds of hours, hundreds, but over a hundred hours of me talking. And sometimes you say like, I made, I hinted at a Gabriel Iglesias fat joke earlier. I'm not one of those dudes. But I, he, we said he's huge, and I'm like, well, he is huge. But like, you know, it's just right. you're if you're doing this much talking, you're going to say funny. some stupid things. Yeah, yeah. he's fly. he yeah. calls himself that, but yeah. uh, you know, but someone could take them and be like, see, look at that, Joe Kilgill hates fat people. I do not. Although this is a funny story, um, a cousin of mine recently had to not had to, but bought his daughter. They have plus size Barbies now, okay, which is which is great. That's great, you know. But uh, the thing that sucks about it. Is that he had to buy a whole new wardrobe because his little six-year-old daughter was like, how come none of my old Barbie clothes fit on this one? And he's like, well, it's plus size Barbie. And so he's laughing to himself thinking everyone thought this was such like a, a woke thing. And really, it's the most capitalist thing in the world. Yeah, you get it's buy all the supply side economics. He's yep. just
1: buying more shit yep. for uh,
0: Barbie. Anyway, that made me laugh because I was it's, like, that's, is that's that, funny.
1: Is that pandemic Barbie? It's COVID-19 she's put on.
0: <laughs> that one would have like its own, you know, respirator <laughs> or whatever yep. would yep. come with it. Um, what's the word? Ventilator. That's the Ventilator. word I'm looking yep. for. Yeah. Oh man. All right. So
1: and the yeah, other thing was, you- no, and 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 we, I did have someone sweep my, uh, social media. Um, I, 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 tr- well, I mean, you know, it's the best of their ability. You never know. Yeah. In, I mean, take it out of context, but the one thing was funny was that there was a debate over, uh, I, I was, I've I've trained in firearms. So with the FBI Citizens Academy, I've learned how to shoot a Glock and an automatic rifle. And they were like, oh, you can't have those on there for you know, they'll use it out of context. And it's like it, it was just I'd I rather, think
0: would have helped you on the Northwest side, maybe. I'm
1: saying.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: I you know, I, and because but my answer to that is I, uh, you know, as a historian, as an American, I mean, I believe in the constitution. I think that we do need to have firearm uh legislation that is reasonable and safe uh and i think that owning a firearm is part of our rights as americans but that's just me yeah
0: i think i think if you want to have a gun to protect your house you want a rifle to go yeah hunting you know hunting's not a thing i'm a fan of because i like animals but yeah go for go for it yeah. I just think we should maybe make it a little bit harder for psychos to buy a gun.
1: Yeah. I think that there should be insurance. I think you should have to buy insurance, firearm insurance. Sure,
0: absolutely. Like yeah. you like we would for a car. Why not? Yeah. You know, I that's yeah. that's a good that's a good policy that also could lead to the segue of my next question, which yes. is what um sorry, let me double check here my notes. I've never interviewed a politician before. Uh <laughs> Did you have any like new ideas that you were like, no one is talking about this. This is something I want to implement yeah. that I think will be popular amongst people on both sides of the aisle. And I can't wait to try to get this done.
1: Well, you know, actually one of the things is, is crucial right now. And I, a lot of people are talking about it now is I, I wanted to do uh, trauma intervention for uh, first responders, not just for the police officers and, and uh, firemen, but someone who because of my experience, uh, you know, as a child, when, you know, when we got the phone call that my brother had been discovered in, uh, in Gacy's house, there wasn't any sort of uh, attention paid to the family. There wasn't a, uh, you know, trauma, uh, att- like, dealing with what that mental health issue would be like and and i think that a lot of communities the violence is perpetuated because we aren't going in and making sure that there is support with mental health and our first responders there's a stigma for cops if they ask for help or if they say they need to talk to somebody like that stays with them for the rest of their careers that was one thing i wanted to do is crisis intervention that's and, a
0: great idea
1: thank you that's and, great. and 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 I would I you know I think that there are other cities that are doing a good job of implementing mental health experts. So in Denver and Las and Las Vegas and Eugene, Oregon, they triage nine one one calls and they'll send out a squad. But if it's a domestic violence, if it's an overdose, if there is you know suspicion of there being a need for a social worker or a mental health expert, they're also sent out. And I think that that would be really helpful in Chicago. And the other thing, my big picture, and I mentioned this before about healthcare, we have no standardized system for billing. Did you see this story in Texas? Where uh, two people were tested for COVID 19, and the one guy paid $200 cash. He had $200 bills. It cost him $199 to get tested. And another woman, Uh, used her insurance and she was billed over $6,000 for the exact same test at the same hospital because it wasn't cash and because it could go through her insurance company, it could go through these different offices, it's through the actual, you know, all these different things. And we have no standardization. That should be standardized. There is no way a test should be $200 in cash for one person and over $6,000. This is how people are going broke.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of criminal elements as yeah. far as I'm concerned with things like that you know I, I know people who I remember I was visiting you know I, I lived in LA from 2014 to 2017 and I'd come home Thanksgiving maybe every other year I was gone and I remember you know the Wednesday before Thanksgivings a big drinking day you actually know who the person is but I'll off air I'll tell you her name because uh, she worked at a, a comedy club um, not a comedian um, server oh. and oh. uh And, uh, we were, you know, she went to one of the shows I was doing, I was doing community know. and a big, huge group of us went, you know, out to the bars afterwards, as you do the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I probably shouldn't have, but I was in a good mood. I was seeing a lot of people I hadn't seen in like a year. And, uh, we were going into another bar and the one door guy was like, yeah, I don't know about her. And I'm like, no, no, she's cool. Don't worry about it. And I kind of got her in. And I ran into people along the way that I hadn't seen. And they're like, Joe, you know, I'm talking to them. And I went to the bathroom and I came back and she was like passed out on the bar, like head on the, the thing. And I'm like, Ugh. and they were like, this guy's like kind of creeping. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll got her. I'm taking care of her. And I tried to like help her up, but it was too late. They'd already called the police. The police then I hadn't, the police, they were cool to their uh, defense, you know, cause I was talking to them and stuff. And, um, Luckily I'm a good talker, but they had an ambulance already. And I don't think she was so bad where she needed an ambulance. Right. But she, (coughs) excuse me. Yeah. (coughs) Start choking up, but they gave her an ambulance. And I remember she was coming to, and she was like, son of, they were already putting her in. Yeah. And she was like, this is going to, you guys could have, no one could have just given me an Uber home and made sure I got in. This is going to cost me three grand. Yeah. Or whatever an ambulance ride. Exactly. that That was her biggest concern was that how much money it was going to cost. And yeah. I've seen people, I've heard stories of people who they're riding their bike or something, or they get, or they even got yeah. hit by a car and they're like, no, I can walk this off because they don't want an ambulance showing up when they yeah. probably do need an ambulance because they don't want that insane bill. So yeah, there's yeah. definitely some stuff there um, that I, I like the idea, of, but I definitely am a big fan of there is a stigma. With uh, if a police officer has to go talk to someone after seeing something bad, the rest of the guys have yeah. a hard time. Yeah, and then um, and you think about these poor kids in in neighborhoods where there's a lot of shootings, right? And it just becomes a part of their daily life.
1: Yeah. So
0: um, if we could go back to yeah. You so you were in high school when your brother died. No, I was correct? seven.
1: I was I was uh, actually oh, four seven. years so uh Mike disappeared. Well, I'm sorry, I got my I got that's I got okay. my
0: uh, decades mixed up. I'm that's sorry. okay. It was yeah. nine, I was thinking ninety five, but ninety five is when when I started Casey doing comedy. Yes. And that's when you started doing comedy. Yeah. Yes.
1: yeah. No, uh Mike was uh was 16 years old, uh and he disappeared in nineteen seventy-six. Um and we got the phone call uh Christmas time in nineteen seventy-eight. Uh, they uh, had found his fishing license. Uh, it's one of those things where, uh, like, Christmas was never the same. Um, I wrote an essay recently. I'm trying to write a book about uh, because when when the story was going to come out in Chicago Magazine, I I called a lot of my friends to make sure that they knew so that they didn't feel like I'd hid I'd hid something from them or didn't trust them with it. But I mean, it was pretty. I mean, they were like like um, Do you know Paul DeGilio? Paul is a comic. He's been around for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've met him through, yeah. he did the show after your show, correct?
1: Uh, no, that's Nick. Yeah. Nick is a, Nick is a oh, radio Nick, host. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, uh, but it's Nick, Nick DiGilio knew because I'd written a script kind of uh, loosely based on our lives, and I, I had him read it, and he was really kind about it. But Paul DiGilio is a stand-up comic, and we've known each other for 25 years. And when I told him, I said, "I ha- have I ever told you about Mike? And, uh, And he, I felt so bad because he, he was, it was having to give people this information about me, people who've been so supportive and kind to me. And they didn't know what to do with that. You know, they, they, you know, this, this tragic story. And they like, they, he would, I could hear him going over the whole 25 years trying to remember if he'd done an an inappropriate joke or, and I'm like, no, I I just want you to know because I, 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 you know, I admire you. I love you. And I don't want you to think I, I kept this from you. So I did that for about 20 people I had to call. So I'm writing a book called uh, I Have to Tell You About Mike. And we're, we're thinking about doing a podcast because I am actually friends with the detectives that were in the crawl space. I'm friends with a prosecuting attorney. Uh, one of the detectives that was working in the open cases is an ex-boyfriend of mine. Um, that's how crazy my life is. Uh, he called me about 10 years yeah. ago and he said, Hey, you know, there's, there's still some open cases and the detectives have some questions for your mom. Cause my dad passed away in 2001. And um, so there's a lot there because the story of, of a survivor's family is never told. It's always the, you know, the like, like what's the name of the podcast? Uh, my favorite murder. Right.
0: My wife just got into that, Yeah, which I, I know I'm sure it's great. I heard it's a great podcast. But now she keeps being like, did you know this murder? And now every day right. I have to hear about murders. And I don't right. want to hear about anything that are, it's, right. you know, as a parent, there are some stuff where it's like, I don't want to uh, hear that.
1: Yeah, I just, exactly. please
0: don't tell me this stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, yeah I'm sorry though. Go, go ahead.
1: No, no, no. So but you were going to ask, so it was uh, yeah. Mike disappeared in, in, in 76. And, and so well, basically
0: I was... what I was, I and I do think it's a great idea for a book because you're right. You don't, even when I'm thinking of like, movies in popular culture that are about serial killers and stuff like that you know they cut to the victim's parents crying as they walk out of a courthouse or they cut to the you know it's never from their point of view um there might be some where it's like we're still looking we're we're keeping hope alive that they're alive um but yeah i can't imagine um that's why i feel even weird kind of digging into it a little bit
1: well but joe it's
0: like the the fact that it's such a famous mm -hmm. because he came national I i think he was a clown. Did you guys know where he was
1: Mike when he uh, was found? He
0: went fishing, right? Or, uh, no,
1: they found uh, Mike's fishing license, but no, Mike was, oh. uh, so my, my dad and and my, well, my parents, we lived in Norwood park. Mike lived with his mom and his stepdad in uh, over by Wrigley, actually uh, right over on Addison by where the taco bell was. Right. So like oh, one of the, cool. one of the gray a couple, couple doors in, and um, Mike was not happy uh, with his with his stepdad. I, I, this is stuff I I learned because the story came out. I actually got to learn much more about my brother's life than I have known my entire life because my dad would never talk about it. Uh, my mom didn't wasn't close to Mike. And um, oh, by the way,
0: real, real shocking that your Irish father didn't want to talk about anything.
1: Oh, uh, right. It that yeah, is like was one st- of the
0: most true stereotypes of all time. That is. That yeah people with Irish blood we just don't want to talk about anything no serious like at right. all the number right. of times in my family where I've heard oh so-and-so surgery went well and I'm like
1: right I I even- you
0: know, I'm not gonna give a name because you know I've got family listening to this podcast but I didn't know they were sick what, what the fuck are you talking about surgery like you know yep. I, I've got that the number of times that's happened is just well, it's my it would be mind-boggling to people who aren't from our stock. You know what I mean, Patty?
1: Well, and I also think that's what made me a comic was it was easier to make fun of anything else than have to talk about the serious stuff. I think that that's, you know, I, I don't necessarily, while I talk about Declan, I also do it in a way that's not necessarily about how hard it is to raise a child with a disability. It's about how much everyone else is an asshole. You know, how people stare at him (laughs) and they say really stupid things. Um, but With uh, with Mike's story, you know, it was uh, what was remarkable. And the biggest gift I got from actually running because I had to share my story, it was that um mike's friends started reaching out to me and uh the day after the story came out one guy messaged me goes i'm not being creepy please if you'll do me a favor call my friend john scanlon and i had talked to that guy before this guy greg i had messaged him because he left a beautiful message on mike's uh, digital gravesite uh john scanlon had been a fan of mine when i was on bob and tom's radio show for over 15 years and he said he was falling asleep in his armchair, and he heard my name and he heard Mike's name. He's like, "Patty, I couldn't sleep all night." I, he he'd gone to grade school with Mike, and they had been best friends through high school. And and what they said was, they would they would always watch the documentaries and, and ask, "Why doesn't anyone tell? Um, why doesn't anyone tell Mike's story?" And so um, I sort of had this opportunity to share a little bit about Mike and how he had strawberry blonde hair and freckles and you know spectacular blue I'm eyes. Dancing
0: to me. Sounds yeah. like a handsome guy. Yeah,
1: played baseball. <laughs> uh, was a great wrestler and could fight. Apparently, that was one of his friends telling me he was a fighter. So that was that was seems, great.
0: He sounds like him, and I would have hit it off very well <laughs> exactly. I wrestled for just. I only wrestled for one year, but I was a good baseball player. And um, there you go. I
1: mean,
0: I've, I've been known to get into some scrapes here and there. Um,
1: yeah, but, but and, and I
0: don't I don't fight anymore. Everyone.
1: Uh, me neither. That's not but, even
0: true. I told a story about getting into a fight. You know, Megan Gailey. I was at her. I was the only guy at her bachelorette party. Oh, nice. I tell that story recently to some people on i I'm like, a, people were asking me, she, she tweeted something, um, uh, about like, a. you know, what's nice is that people like yourself and everyone else is pushing for, which is good as a, as a society, we're pushing for people to be more open about their experiences. Oh, and, yeah. um, and, and Megan had a bad experience, um, as if, you know, as a female comedian, yep. uh, as unfortunately so many female comedians do that. She, you know, Ooh. she, she told her story on Twitter and, uh, You know, I just commented like a heart emoji, you know, let her know, hey, you know, I always got your back. And then she commented, you know, nobody's fought more people on my behalf than you. And so then a lot of people were people were private messaging me going, who'd you fight? And I'm like, well, which time? And But the last time was at, at her bachelorette party, being I was the only guy at a bachelorette party. And then they jokingly said that I should start my own business in which I am security for bachelorette parties Oh, because it's not, it's not just patties. Here's the thing. It's not just about being muscle. It's not just about standing there looking tough. So other dudes back away. Sometimes dudes would start to dance with one of her friends. And there were some friends I didn't know. And then her and Lisa Traeger would give me a look like, Hey, cause I'd be like on the other side of like, you know, it's a group of like 25 women. And then I would go and like slide in between that dude. And one of the girls that was part of the team and they would look and be like, Oh, I know this guy. He could pretend grind on me, <laughs> which I wasn't really right. doing. I was just like, doing that kind of dance move. Right. And that was the signal to the guy to be like, all right, back away. So you're, spoken throwing, for
1: you're throwing a pick.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was throwing a pick, right. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta stay strong. Let, let him right. bounce off the chest. What? Right. Yep. Good fundamentals right there. So I, by the way, it's a great title for the book. I think that's amazing that you're doing that.
1: Um, well, and, let's, and- and the race. I will say this. And the race. What was what was epic about the race was not just that my name came out um, in the article. I don't know if you remember, but I talk about how somebody which sh- showed me a business card with Gacy's name on it. It's actually Robert Martwick, uh, our senator, uh, showed me that card. His dad made John Wayne Gacy a precinct captain. Uh, so this was like so the, the sort of this this um, collision of my my family's uh, story and running for office, it, it took on another level. And it, it reminded me of how long uh, this family has been in power and, and was very uh, dedicated to maintaining that. So that's a, a, another thing that I, I plan on writing about as well. Isn't that crazy?
0: That is yeah. absolutely. That's yeah. insane. But I can't tell you how nice it is to see that smile that you get at the end of the sentence where you're like, because you, you have that look. You know how like Michael Jordan would get that, that the tongue would start to come out when he knew he was about to <laughs> yeah. dunk on someone. Yeah. You're getting this little, like this nice little smile. Um, it's like a cool little badass. Like, oh, they they have no idea.
1: Well,
0: oh, I'm You know what it reminds me of? Here's something for everybody. <laughs> this is seen in Happy Gilmore. when he starts to go down a few strokes at the big, you know, him versus Shooter McGavin at the end. And then, um, he says, he comes out after he hits, he goes, you know, the way, you know, Shooter, the way I look at it, we've only just begun. And then like this cool, like music starts to play. I feel like you're looking at the whole, all the people who are trying to stop you from serving your community. And I, I really think that's what it's about. I don't think it's about ego with you at all, Patty, which unfortunately it is with a lot of politicians, I think you're kind of got this mindset now where it's like, oh, you haven't seen, you've, you haven't seen nothing yet. Mm-hmm. I've only just begun and I'm seeing you out there and, um, you know, activism is a big thing going on right now, which is great to see people in the streets. I know you were going live on, on your Facebook page from, uh, yeah. the, the BL, BLM protests that happened, yeah. um, I guess a protest. Would you call it a march? March. I, I'm going to call it a march, actually. Yeah. I guess hu- it's a protest and a march. It's both, right?
1: Yeah. My husband was saying that he thinks that that's part of the language is very significant because when you call it a protest, the people in the community in our neighborhood, you know, you know what it's like. Uh, a lot of folks here are very defensive and and don't want to look on the other side of what it means to have uh, injustice and inequality. So it's it's not it's not. Is accessible to them, so I think the march, that that march went right past the house I grew up in, the, the apartment I grew up in on Northwest Highway, and that's when I started. I started crying when we were blocks away from Onahan because I had been uh, bullied. Uh, do you see the lights? Come on, my I mom. I did
0: and I actually. I actually no no bullshit. I kind of wish they were on the entire time because oh, it really turn, it turn really brightened on. up everything <laughs> behind you.
1: Turn the lights back on. My mom will come down here and she'll be like what are you doing while well, I'm doing like a podcast or something? And she's like, don't forget to turn off the lights. That's great. No, <laughs> She'll just that, like-
0: I'm laughing. That happened in another, another one of these podcasts. That's actually one of the nice things is doing. I kind of like doing the podcast this way in a sense. Uh, but I was, I did one with uh, his community, Ryan Dalton. And at one point a light went on and he's like, sorry about that. I'm like, no, it looks awesome. Don't turn it off. I was saying before you look like you're in a dungeon, man. Come on, let's, let's brighten it up a little bit in there um but yeah no that's my own fault though i need to start reminding people hey if you could be in the best lit room
1: I that know. would help i know but I... you
0: actually have the you have a good light off the computer right now going, well it's, so it's you're, my you're,
1: i actually i have a i do this i have a little
0: <laughs> see i have a little lamping behind me yeah. but um so everyone watching the podcast now i did just order some stuff off of amazon which is also why I need this insurance money to, to, to come in this unemployment insurance, because I could not afford what I just ordered. It actually wasn't too expensive, but I ordered like a little light ring thing.
1: I that, want one um, of those too. Yeah. It, it's yeah
0: they're great. not that bad. actually. I'm, I'm I, talking on my ass.
1: I actually have more lights here, but all you'll see is like stuffed animals and stuff. I don't know if that helps.
0: <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't hurt. It's, yeah. it's not about the background. I don't think, but no, yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off for that, but it's nope. uh, I'm saying that I I like, uh, I like that you were out there. I like that. Yeah, because look, what you, you mentioned with the Northwest side, and we both love the Northwest side of Chicago. Um, there are parts of it, though, that it's, it's very, there's some close mindedness that really kills me. Because, yeah. and there's like a complaint for the sake of complaining, that sometimes I'm thinking to myself, do you not hear yourself a little bit there? And um, I went to a Chicago public grade school and then an all guys Catholic high school. So I got to see how both sides work in a lot yeah. of ways. And there are stuff that I loved about going to a Catholic high school that I wish public schools would look at and be like, oh, we could implement that stuff here. Obviously, you can't do religious classes. And I'm not even advocating for that. But there, there was a sense of community that was instilled that, you know, when you have pri- when you have like a sense of pride in your school, I think you care more as a student overall. And I think yeah. the public school, I think Taft's done a good job with that lately, actually. Funny enough, Principal Taft was a high school teacher of mine at the Catholic High School. Yes, Ah. so I think he did take actually some and instill it over at Taft, which is a really smart move. So anyhow, um, in Taft High School, everyone listening, was um, the movie Grease is based off of Taft High School. And Jerry Krause went there, who was the Bulls GM in the last dance that you saw, the one that everyone hated. Although some people did later give him credit, which they should have. I mean, he, he did take a big yeah. part of that, but he did ruin it at the end. Anyway, I'm going to, it's a whole other podcast talking about the bulls last dance documentary. Um, is that there, there is a level of closed mindedness that I feel like it's a lot of people. I mean, and it stayed through into our twenties when oh, I started yeah. doing stand-up comedy, it changed me in a lot of ways. Cause I got to meet a lot of people that weren't from Chicago.
1: Right. You know,
0: like everyone, a lot of the comedians that we know, were like, Oh Joe So Chicago. No one ever said I was so Chicago growing up because everybody was so Chicago. Exactly. That wasn't a thing, that, you know? And um, so I changed. If I had never gone into that world, I probably would have this, you know, closed mindedness too, where you think it's a us versus them thing, Right. which I, that quality can be good for loyalty. Like some of the most loyal people I've ever met in my life are Northwest siders. These people will take a bullet from you. But because oh, yeah. of that, anything that's a little bit different than they're used to, they're suspect of. And I wish they would drop that suspicion and just be a little bit open to new ideas and, and new other things. Like they're, they're like that, um, that development in Northwest Highway, they're going to build this big building. And yep. I think of like 100 units, 20 of them were going to be to help poorer people.
1: Right. And immediately well, they
0: were like, that's going to kill property value. And I well, go, how do you know? Right. Look up. Did it, did, how did it work in other areas? It, right. They did in other areas, and it exactly. did for property value. It actually helped. So mm-hmm. I don't understand, like just just stuff like they were, they're just suspicious of everyone around them for reasons I still can't figure out to this day.
1: Well, was what the other part of that is that um, the the threshold for qualifying for those apartments almost half of the people in this community would qualify for it. It's not just the. Extremely, you know, they're worried about people coming from other neighborhoods. I mean, and we say that there. I mean, a lot there, there were people who said it was going to be Cabrini Green, so they bring they bring in race. They look, there were people who were worried about the density and about crowding and things like that. But it doesn't help that the loudest voices were saying we don't want black people in this community, and we don't want thugs, we don't want drug dealers, and that was that was what you know, and and the people that were kind of fueling that. It got away from everybody. But on the other side, I think that there was also. Uh, a dismissiveness and not uh, a space for people to express their concerns in a way that was productive either. There there was a meeting held at a church that mom and I, my mom and I couldn't even get in. She was battling breast cancer was in a wheelchair at the time. And we couldn't get into the church because it was packed Um, that. And, and I feel like that was done very strategically in order to blow it up and sort of amplify the ones that were negative and racist rather than, than the people who really wanted to have a conversation. It was, I will say this, Joe, what I've learned is that there are a lot of people who are like they're like wrestling, like pro wrestlers. They lean into the, the face and the the bad guy. You know, they're 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 these characters that just, they they really like playing this role. And I think it distorts what really needs to be done in order to help people in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah, I like that you said willing to have the conversation. I think that's yeah. what I meant before, where they hear a thing and on the surface they go, that sounds like projects. I know projects yeah. are bad because I've been told my whole life projects are bad in Cabrini Green. And there's a lot, there's a lot of projects that were horrible and they were failures by every sense of the word. And then they're just so quickly write off any other yeah. type of aid to help anyone. And, and, and again, there's no, they don't want the conversation. There's some yeah. people that didn't want the conversation and there's some people who do. And and for those people, it's like, yeah, let's talk, let's figure it out because I'm one of those people that, and again, I think maybe that's like the comedian brain that a lot of us have, where when you, we hear something, I heard whenever I hear immediately anyone loves something or hates it, it's contrarian. I guess part of me, right? Where I'm like, well, let's let's look at the opposite viewpoint. Yeah, let's let's look into the opposite because there's no way that that's. I know the world isn't black and white; it's gray as hell. Right. And and anything that just seems like the simple solution. Whenever I hear people go, "Why don't they just do this?" It's like, do you don't think anyone ran that idea by them? Right. Like I remember back when people remember back when people cared about the deficit. No one gives a shit about that. They only cared about that when Obama was president. I haven't heard the word deficit since Trump took office. But I'll never forget. I'll never forget this bullshit statement. If I have to balance my checkbook, what is it the government have to balance theirs, huh? Makes sense to me. Well, it's because you're an idiot, okay? You are not a government. You're a dickhead who doesn't get math, all right? Sorry, I'm (laughs) getting a little. It just irks the hell out of me, okay? I don't understand how one, one individual. Could compare themselves one individual with their nice little life. Sure, I'm sure they get a nice solid life, 60 grand a year. Right. Have you know, they go to Wisconsin every summer. I'm sure that's I'm not knocking that living or that existence, but for you to compare yourself to the finances, the economy, the biggest economy in the history of humanity and think, why can't one do the like that's right. just so incredibly stupid and just because it's an easy thing and the people want those people. Like, there are certain politicians who throw that out there. They know that's not a thing, but they know it's an easy thing that the average person could then bitch about while they're in line at, at Jewel, a grocery store, everyone. And, 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 and they <laughs> can regurgitate it to sound smart. Yeah. Why can't I? I'm careful with local references because every now and then someone will be like, what the hell is that? Or right. I have a comedian on saying, oh, dude, we're at this bar. I'm like, no one knows that bar. Just explain right. it a little bit because they'll be like, oh, we all know that bar, right, Joe? I'm like, no, I know that bar's full of scumbags. But now I have to take an extra sentence to explain because I have right. only half my listeners are based in Chicago. Maybe sixty percent, I'd say, okay. are Chicago. Well,
1: yeah, we gave I got,
0: a- I got in the UK, Ireland.
1: There you go. Australia. We gave them we gave a little northwest side uh, taste.
0: No, I think yes. that's just a local politics. I think it's more relatable. I knew we were going uh, super local, but I wanted oh. people to understand what it's like to, you know, I mean, I could watch a movie about Boston, and I have to be from Boston to get what's happening. So if you're listening and you're like, "I'm not from Chicago," I don't know what they're saying follow along (laughs) sleep at night you know what I mean come on
1: and it was weird like I there were people that we knew that were following us too like they would you know to track where I we we had uh, trackers Uh, and it was it was surreal and it was what it was some of it was the kind of stuff that you see in the movies but and, and I will say this, so let's talk about hyper local with that 5150, the the building that you're talking about. My thing, I supported it until I saw how ugly it was getting and how and I, I you know, I'm glad that it's happening. Let me just say that right out the gate. I'm glad that we are giving an opportunity for people to live in a in a community that is wonderful. And we have choked off uh, opportunities for so many other neighborhoods for a long time. Yeah, and it's
0: a safe, I, I, if I could, I'm going to call you off, but I do want to yeah. emphasize because I didn't emphasize it before. And I think the listeners would get a kick out of this part. Yeah. Yes. The Northwest side is a very safe area. Yeah. And, and I know there are people on these different Facebook watch groups or whatever, oh, that every time, every time a 16 year old steals something out of a car, they yeah. act like everything's going to hell. I got to move to Huffington yeah. estates
1: now. Everything's so terrible. now. Yeah, you know, exactly. that's, and that's exactly
0: how they sound, by the way. But what I just did was a dead on impression of these people.
1: I, I could hear it. I felt it.
0: You felt it, right? Yeah. It's a very safe neighborhood. And so anyone who would be applying to live with, you know, government assistance to live in this part of the city would be doing it because they want to leave a bad situation. Right. And if you're against it, then I think there is some true racism there. And also they're worried about them bringing the crime. I remember that you talked about that meeting. I was living in LA at the time, but it was being live streamed on Facebook. Yeah. I caught about three minutes of it. And at one point a woman said, all right, fine. Maybe they're safe, but we know the cousins hanging out over there won't be. And I'm like, yes. how do you how do you yep. say something like that and yep. not know it's a racist thing to say, right? Because there's an assumption that all poor people are criminals, which is not true, right? right? Do poor people tend to commit crimes more so? Yes, they're poor. That's how that works. You know, when you're rich, you don't knock off a 7-Eleven. Duh. You well, know? They break Although, in other ways,
1: we know that. Oh, yeah.
0: White collar crime. They yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, some. Some 22 year old who doesn't have a job might, you know, st- steal some stuff out of your car or might break in or something like that, which is bad. They usually do it when you're not home though. That's the, the typically right. the move. One time growing up in Portage Park, someone did break into our house. They got nothing because I was coming in through the back door and I saw a shadow go by real quick. I thought it was my older sister going to like hide and jump out. Whoa. But then I noticed that the door was open a little bit and there was a shovel. And I'm like, this isn't our shovel. And I remember calling my dad at work and he was like, all right, well check this area. So then I found out where my dad hid some stuff and I'm like, no, it's all there. And he's like, okay. And I go, he goes, you must've scared him off. What they were doing was they were going door to door with a shovel. That way, if someone did answer, they could be like, Hey, can I shovel your walkway for 10 bucks or something? And when no one was answering, they'd probably check the thing and then sneak in and steal. Anyway, right. they'll steal your, your Blu-ray player. White collar people <laughs> will steal your fucking pension. Yes. They will steal your retirement. That's what, they, so what is, what is worse? Anyway yeah. though, but uh I wanted to add this part, but yes. the fifty one fifty is the address. That's what Patty was referring to. And I was talking about the building. The building, and I understand, I, I agreed, I was talking to some people, and and yeah, it's a monstrosity of a building. They they couldn't agree on the size, and I yeah. understood there needed to be some compromise. So I got where there was some arguments going on. I, I totally got that. But when it comes to the safety aspect, what kills me is it's being built directly across the street from a very big police station. Yeah. Directly. Yeah. Like you couldn't I don't understand how they were worried about crime. To me that almost says that's almost like if I were a police officer working in that district at that station, I'd be like, You you think I suck at my job? Why why are you guys yeah. thinking we can't keep our own streets safe?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you couldn't
0: keep the street directly in front of you safe. That that would that would say something to me. More than likely it's two blocks from the blue line. The people living there wouldn't be owning a car because it wouldn't make sense. They'd want to walk the two blocks of the blue line, probably couldn't afford a car, most right. likely if they were going for the lower end stuff. So the traffic claim is BS too. And they act like that big hanging out. It's not, it's a building along train tracks next to a highway across from a police station. Even oh, if you, even if they were worried about the criminal gang element being brought up, Gangbangers yeah. typically don't like hanging around across the street from police stations.
1: They exactly. don't
0: no And there's not even an alley over there. I don't understand. It's just, I'm sorry, Patty, go ahead though. You had yeah, a whole no,
1: thing no, no, the- no. I was, I agree. It was, it, and, and then it becomes, why don't we put it here? Why don't I put it there? It's going to go somewhere. We have to do something to alleviate clearly a disparity of access to affordable living. And uh if if we don't do it has to and some people are gonna feel like it was shoved down their throats. And that's unfortunate. And I wish that we could give some space. And again, it goes back to I believe the way it was done was uh was too severe. But at some point you have to, you know, you still so we also have a development in Portage Park over at the six the six corners and so finally there's going to be that's been vacant these he, like we have huge stretches of empty storefronts something has to happen uh that was the and-
0: second biggest shopping district in the city of chicago at one point yeah. six corners yeah and it frustrates me as someone who grew up and hung out at six corners like that's a big part of my yeah. childhood that when i started doing sam stand-up, stand-up comedy and i'd meet chicago transplants and i would they would ask me where i was from i would often just say six corners and they would go Oh, I live right there too. And I'm like, really? You live off of Irving, Milwaukee, and Cicero? They go, no, Milwaukee, North and Damon. I'm like, that's no, not six corners. That's not six corners. And to even prove it, this is this is too Chicago, I guess, for some people. If you type in just the word six and corners into Google, just don't even have to write Chicago, just six corners and hit enter, the real six corners, our six yep. corners pop yep. up. So I yep. tell people that's these six corners. Now the argument can be made, there's nothing going on over there anymore. So maybe there's right. a new six corners. And I can't argue with that, but it is. It upsets me that there isn't stuff going on because people tried to do some stuff there, and there's a lot of political crap going on. Yep. And, and what are they? Are they still doing that plan of having like the most expensive retirement home yep. ever?
1: That just got Which, well, by the that's way, me. I know
0: that to get de-approved because with the pandemic, how many people are rushing to send older relatives into an expensive nursing home with a pan- yep. with a virus going on that's just wiping these people out?
1: Seven thousand dollars a month on some of those units.
0: 7,000 a month, really.
1: Yeah. Between 4,000 and
0: 7,000. Yeah. This is just like, this is that's the stuff that makes me want to run.
1: It actually is. That makes me
0: want to run for like Alderman and things like that. Because I look at that going, if you can afford 7,000 a month, you're not choosing six corners. You're just not.
1: And what they do is they take the the individual's entire life savings. So let's say somebody sold their house for three hundred thousand dollars or four hundred thousand dollars. It's turned over to that facility, and once that runs out, there's no there's no there's no safety measure in place to make sure that they have somewhere else to go. They're just expelled from the from the unit.
0: So they're just preying on old people.
1: At least that was that was the previous agreement. I don't know if that's changed with the final. Yeah, but that was a city thing. I wasn't gonna. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember Stay there was talks of an days. AMC movie
0: theater. Yeah, yeah, I got that would have been that would have
1: been cool. I think that would have been a good idea. An arc light would have been a great idea. Because,
0: yeah, because I, I think of that Regal over on Western and the bunch of bars and restaurants around it do very yeah. well. If there was an AMC over there, yeah, people would go to a restaurant like Community and then walk over to the movie. Exactly, or to have the movie and then walk over after, and then you could pop up a couple other more bars and restaurants over there. It should be a nightlife district. Yes, you know, yeah. Unf- I still, I hear people say like, no, we want more retail. Does anyone, the people who are in charge of these things, I swear to God, have no idea what's going on in the world. Retail, everyone is Is dead dead. and and it's been dying before COVID-19 hit. That's why I was a fan of Andrew Yang because he was giving out statistics where it's like, Hey, 30% of malls are going to close within a decade. Yeah, because there's a thing called Amazon and more and more online shopping is happening these days. And it was happening beforehand anyway. So I don't understand. Like, what, what is someone going to do I, if you want to open a small business? Why would you want to open like retail? Yeah. Unless it's like a specific thing that you think people would want to shop for. But even specific things are hard to do. Yep. You know, like if you want like I wanted I want to get an arm. I'm holding the microphone, everyone. I ordered it. But that's a thing that I don't know what store I'd go to. Guitar Center. You know, one of those arms to hold the mic. Exactly. That's yep. the only one, and they're not close or convenient. There's, no. they're, they're mostly a suburban thing. And there's one in the city, and so what else am I going to do but order online?
1: Yep. That's just the
0: way that's going. It's sad. It's sad, but true. So you're going to have more empty storefronts going forward. But people still like to go out. Unfortunately, the pandemic is kind of hurting that. But Love I know it. we're eventually going to get back to it. Um, Hopefully, I know there, there's probably going to be a second wave soon. But a year from now, people will be eating and drinking and going to a play. I know you did a show at that theater over there gift, about, yeah. like a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. The gift theater. And there's no one on um, closer to six corners. I thought not, the gift was the, over.
1: I'm sorry. You're right. Not the gift. I did it at the filament. Yeah. The yeah, filament. Yeah, there we go. Yeah.
0: The filament. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you and need I, some more stuff like that.
1: And we're missing our Irish, Irish fest this summer. That would have been, I know I'm sorry. It would have been. What, I wish next, they could have done weekend. it. Yeah.
0: It would have been next week. it's always the weekend at the Fourth of I, July. I love that fest so much.
1: I wanted to reach out to them and and like suggest I would have we could have done like a comedy thing for them or you know it would have been fun to do a virtual Maybe um, they could have done music and I mean I don't know. I'm not I can't speak for other people, but I'll
0: talk to them. that's a good idea. I'll let you know.
1: I'll hit yeah. I'll hit them up. I'll, I'll I
0: ask, um, would do that. Bob McNamara about that. That's a good idea. Um, can I hold you? I know I've been taking a lot of your time now. Can I get you for another five minutes? Yeah. I want, I want to end on, uh, on a fun thing. Okay. Um, I've been usually keeping this for bonus, but since we got really serious, I think I'll keep it as part of the regular podcast. Okay. We shall see everybody. Okay, okay here we go. Yes. Um, I have a question. Oh, where'd it go? I just had the stupid thing up. Um, it's a fun thing I was doing where... Oh, here we go. So, sorry. Uh, it's called Favorites. Okay. You know, the podcast is kind of like, you know, I, I was called Killgallon's Pub for a while. Now I'm just calling it the Joe Killgallon Podcast because it was confusion. But the idea was bar conversation types of okay. conversation you have in a pub, right? yeah So I want you to, what is your favorite shot? Favorite shot of alcohol? Oh
1: yeah. I would say a shot of JMO.
0: Okay. So if you could only do one shot,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, for like, the rest of my like life. Few, yeah. Jameson. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm also Jameson. So I'm a big fan of you there. Uh, favorite beer. You can only drink one beer the rest of your life. What's it going to be? <laughs> it's so
1: funny. Well, it's, this is tough. Cause I, I, is it going to be another Irish one? Is it going to be a Guinness or a Modell? I It's going to be a Guinness. Also
0: you're okay. Guinness. I like that too. I don't know. To me, it's, I'm split because if it's summer, I'm, I'm, I'm a I, Miller Lite guy. I think I just grew up on that cheap American beer and some people right. like hate the taste. I like it. I like a cold Miller on a hot day. I also like a good Magners though. Yeah. And, um, and I then, get... um, my, my, my winter drink is Guinness yeah. winter and fall. I love Guinness and then Stella. I'm a Stella fan too.
1: I would do you know, here. I can split it up this way. Winter Guinness, uh, summer Tecate. I love Tecate.
0: I like Tecate too. There was yeah, that's uh, good. Uh, Mexican beers are great. Soul. Yeah. I've Sol, like that's soul. I guess. Oh what yeah. Is.
1: Pacific Very is good. Too. Yeah.
0: Okay, um, favorite cocktail, mixed drink, and also, you know, you're a politician now, so this, this, you're going to lose votes on some of these. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> would it be hilarious if someone's like, "I caught you on Killgall's podcast"? Takate. come on, t- right? You don't like what, what, what are you doing? Yeah. I'm not for you. I, right, go ahead. I have to
1: tell you, this is actually a neighborhood one because uh, I, I do like old fashions, but I will say uh, the Sazerac at the Gale Street Inn is one of my favorite cocktails. That's really good
0: gale street and everybody if you're ever in chicago i think that's the best ribs oh. some of the best ribs it's definitely my top two or three for ribs and it's a great restaurant overall they've got really good food and um mm. i've always liked the people who work there all right um favorite drunk food
1: oh uh burrito for sure
0: yeah that's yeah. a pretty i mean yeah. i
1: think yeah for a
0: while i was french toast for me i'd go to that remember that diner used to be called mr g's oh yeah right on like lawrence and austin like we're gunnison and lawrence meet or whatever um, I would I'd get like some French toast after like a really good show.
1: Yeah, I remember I having to... um,
0: like my final show before moving to LA. That I I think I got a standing ovation just because it was my final show. But I was also very much on that night and feeling amazing. And I was out with people for a while, and then I was there eating French toast, still riding that high. Yeah, and looking, I was eating at the I was eating at the counter, and everyone else at the counter just <laughs> look. You don't really get the highest class of people at four in the morning at a diner like that. But um, just thinking to myself, they have no idea what i did tonight yeah and i kind of like that It kind of it, it kind of brings you down a little bit it's nice um all right so burrito that's your drunk food yep from any place in particular
1: i you know look you talk about burrito uh, the burrito king you may as well go
0: tbk tbk we're all talking drunk food now. Yep. All, all right here's a here's the last one and this one's tough you could take take a little bit of time on this one all right if you could get if you could drink with any historical person oh um they have to be dead yeah. Uh, okay. Because that's that's historical in my book. I guess you could be living in historical, but yeah. any historical person. Yeah. You could do one woman, one man, or or just choose one. Doesn't matter. I, I try oh. to keep it. Open. Okay.
1: Well, I I would I I mean I, I I don't know that I don't think Lincoln actually drank, but I would uh you know that's a person I would love to talk to. Um and then for I I think actually uh, Jane Adams I would th- I would love to talk to about Chicago history and starting social uh you know social work in Chicago.
0: Jane Adams, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Um, ask her why if, if she if she was alive, would she be happy that they named the Jane Adams like interchange after her?
1: <laughs> or like
0: the worst... highways, mer- the worst part of traffic
1: oh is yes. the Jane Adams. Yeah, it's
0: like the James becomes this become the James Adams Tollway, I think, even at some point. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah. Jane Adams is uh, ninety famous. Yeah. yeah, ninety famous in Illinois. But yeah. You always hear like the Jane Adams interchange. Well, I'm I- like, oh, that's where I'm going to be stuck for way longer than I should be. Like I, I, I hear Jane Addams and I get mad thinking about her name because well, should... I associate her.
1: So you know she what had a, a she had a, a lifelong partner, and so there, I was just listening to an interview. Adam Selzer, who does the cemetery tours, was talking was doing one for Pride, and apparently her lifelong partner was asked, "Were you lesbians?" And she said, "Uh, were we companions? Yes. Were we, you know, the definition of lesbian now? No." So I'm curious about that. You know, that sort of uh, apparently was called a Boston marriage. Uh, Two women who enjoy each other's company, but maybe not necessarily. I mean, the whole thing is fascinating. And then on top of it, what they created, yeah, and what they created in Chicago is uh, is quite remarkable.
0: Why does it sound sadder that they didn't have a uh, romantic relationship? Well, to me, that's sadder. Two, I would hope they did. I I hope so. Two friends. We're just we love each other's company. We're just really good friends, and this is kind of like our thing. And we share a bed.
1: Yeah, Yeah. come on.
0: Maybe, maybe turn the lights off. Feel around a little okay, bit, conceptually.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah, we're adults here. Um, yeah. All right, good choices, good choices on that thank one. You. I like that. You, you had some good ones there, um, Patty. If uh, you gotta you gotta come back on once uh, you finish that book.
1: Okay, I would love to. Thank you. All right,
0: uh, Patty, thank you so much. Could tell people where they could. Uh, I know, I know. Hold on, I did this earlier. I meant to have you hold on. Look at this what? little feature here. Oh,
1: there it is. Yeah, follow me on Twitter, Patty Vasquez C H I.
0: Perfect. Everyone follow uh, Patty Vasquez on Twitter, and then um, I'll I'll keep people up to date when they can start uh, donating some money because Patty's Patty's one of the good ones. That's
1: that's and a part The good of ones. I mean those. politicians.
0: Thank I mean you. politicians. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know you got to be careful how you say one of the good ones. I mean like politicians. <laughs> I
1: have to mean. Thank I you, mean Joe.
0: female comedians. No, I'm kidding. Oh boy, they, yeah, they, that's, that's a whole right other
1: episode. I just,
0: yeah. I just got canceled. Yeah, I'll, we could have another one. where We talk about comedy and stuff like that. I had a great time talking to you, Patty. Um, Thank as always. You Joe. Thank you everyone for listening to the Joe gallon podcast. Now, Patty, I'm going to end it here, but I could talk to you once it's over because I want to tell you the name of the person yes. who's got alcohol poisoning because I'm sure you're wondering.